Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Gun Owners News Hour. One thing that I should make abundantly clear is that despite everything I may say about it, I still do love my country. I'm very happy to stand up during the national anthem, proud to have served it, because I'm lucky I was born in the greatest nation on this rock. I made it my personal mission as a young man to defend it professionally. And I have made it my secondary mission as a civilian to do as much as I can to do it now as a private citizen. And that's what I do here. That's what I do in other things. But it shouldn't be nearly as hard as it's proving to be. We have a legion of people that are inclined to see what they want to see, which is that our rights are what's to blame for all of the problems. Like we get this from Salon. Last month alone, 147 kids under 18 were killed by guns, not including suicides, which typically are not reported in the media. Data showed that the rate of teen suicides using a gun nearly doubled between 2010 and 2020. And yet the gun industry and the gun lobby continue to perpetuate the myth that guns keep us safe. In the last two decades, billions of dollars have been spent to lobby for tougher gun laws and elect elect gun safety candidates, produce new research, mobilize grassroots supporters, promote community based solutions and on and on and on. And each of these tactics has resulted in some victories against the gun lobbies. Elections won, laws passed, research released, supporters activated, and increased support for community-based solutions. This is an extremely personal issue for young people. Firearms have become the leading cause of death for children and teens. And young people have grown up with normalized lockdowns and active shooter threats. 
And Gen Z ranks gun violence as a bigger problem than climate change or abortion access. <laughs> Since those other two are not really even problems, I would guess so. You can go look it up if you'd like, but it basically boils down to guns are the problem. That's the piece. It claims to debunk the idea that guns make us safer. And, you know, I can dispute this kind of thing on and on and on and on. Instead, I'm going to point out that the writer in question doesn't understand a fundamental aspect of reality. Namely, that the problem is not and never has been firearms. No, the problem that we have here is a little worse. It's a little different. It's a little more. And, uh, well, you know, that's the real problem. Um, I saw this Twitter thread that noted that our non-gun homicide rate was higher than the total homicide rate for some European nations. <laughs> now, we have about 330 million people, and depending on who you ask, somewhere between 450 and 500 million firearms, although I think it's much more than that. We have enough guns to hand one to every man, woman, and child and still have a lot left over in case somebody's breaks. Our black market for guns is probably larger per capita than some nation's total gun market, both white and black combined. And despite all of that, we still have more people killed with things other than guns. Things like knives and poison and sporting equipment and bare hands, among other things, that people of every nation have ready access, of every nation have ready access to than just about everybody else in the developed world. Because that's who they always like to compare us to. It's not a gun problem, people. It never has been a gun problem. It, it, if it were simply about guns that are non-gun homicide rate, would look similar, similar to what we see in places like Europe or Japan. Said it's many times higher in many cases. And the reason is that thanks to the leftist policies that have been put in place, America has now, America is broken. Now, in some way, as a people and a culture, we ended up with a significant chunk of people who think murder is the way you solve a dispute. You don't take away the violent tendencies. You don't take away the fundamental part of this nation that somehow thinks homicide is a problem-solving technique. And until and unless you do, there are no laws on earth that can you can pass that will make people safer. If you do, though then there are no laws on earth needed to make people safer. And is it is truly just that simple. Now, the, the, the author mentions research, and research is important. It's vital that we as a people do all we can to understand the world around us. But research has a problem. It's not trusted the reason is that we've seen too many cases of researchers misbehaving. So when I group saw that a group was formed to look at guns, I was nervous. Would this just be more gun control? I hoped it wouldn't be because I think we need some good research to look at things like violent crime so we can get a better understanding of it. But unfortunately, that's not true. The problem of so-called gun violence in America can at times seem utterly intractable. The horrific frequency of mass shootings, 
according to the Gun Violence Archive, almost 300 in the first six months of 2022. The tragic daily toll of firearm-related deaths, 124 per day on average, according to the CDC, and the inability of politicians to implement effective gun control measures have had devastating personal consequences for individuals and families and pose a significant public health challenge for the nation. The CDC reports that firearm-related injuries rank among the five leading causes of death for people ages 1 to 44 and is now the leading cause of death for children and adolescents, killing more people ages 1 to 19 than car accidents, drug overdoses, or cancer. But for epidemiologist and gun violence expert Charles Brannis, the Gelman Professor of Epidemiology and Chair of the Department of Epidemiology in the Mailman School of Public Health, scope and recalcitrance of the problem only heighten the urgency of answering one basic question. What do you do about it? Now, in theory, all of that is fine, but throughout most of that particular little screed, there weren't any glaring red flags. There are some things that gave me pause, but they could have been innocent mistakes. But the truth is, this is just gun control pretending to be about getting to the truth. And how do I know this? We have the comments like this. There's good evidence to show that, especially in adolescence, the transition from contemplating suicide to action is very short-lived and transient, therefore utilizes whatever means is easily available. And so the extraordinary lethality of guns means that someone who decides to commit suicide and has access to a firearm is much more likely to succeed than someone who does not. Research indicates that acts of suicide involving a firearm are fatal 90% of the time compared to 13.5% for self-poisoning. But the problem here is that there's far more methods to attempt suicide than self-poisoning. In fact, a number of them are nearly as high a lethality rate as firearms. It also has a mention of red flag laws, which are often touted as being effective at preventing suicides, but that's not always the case. They had a study that were of a comparison of the result of red flag laws between Indiana and Cincinnati. And, uh, well, let's just say it wasn't very conclusive. It's not science. It's gun control activism wearing a scientific drag. In this guise, this is not actual safety science. It is simply confirmation bias. And, of course, including the 18 to 19-year-olds, of course, that really pumps it up. That pumps up the numbers really well when you do that. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. Call from Mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. This is Gun Owners News Hour, and right now it seems to be sort of a favorite tactic of the anti-gun set to argue that you either have a right to life, <laughs> or if you don't want a right to life, you have a right to guns. Whenever there is a rampage killing, they trot that one out there, and they, you know, they they really think this is a punch to the gut, you know, and this is something we can't wiggle out of. There's an editorial: right to life or guns. And here's, here's, here's part of it. Innocents were sla- are slaughtered in schools, shopping malls, and houses of worship. We are astonished that mass shootings are a weekly event. This is a direct coincidence with the massive effort by the gun industry to relax gun controls and make it politically and legally impossible to remove weapons of war from our streets and the hands of lunatics. If we were pro-life, we would ban assault rifles used to spray down elementary schools. We would put sheriffs back in charge of issuing concealed weapons permits and keeping them out of the hands of dangerous people they know. We would take body armor off the market. We would stop the manufacture of cop killer bullets and high-capacity magazines intended only for professional use. Most Americans support these reasonable restrictions on our Second Amendment freedoms, just as they support limited restrictions on what we can say or print. <laughs> Sure they do. This coming out of Iowa, of all places. This is referred to as a false dichotomy. And what that means is that he's presenting you your choices as if there's only two. You either support the right of life or you support gun rights. Very common among the anti-gun voices. They, they really do seem to think that there's some. this is some major gotcha. Like, you can't be pro-life and support gun rights at the same time. And that's because they don't understand anything our side says about the issue of guns. With people like this pointing out that you believe guns save lives goes in one ear and out the other and saying that you want to protect your own life, your own right to life with a gun, well, that just gets completely ignored. That's because the average gun control advocate has never bothered to listen to somebody like you. They like to stay in their echo chamber, only learning about your arguments when somebody tries to debunk them, and then usually in a limited form. Yet, the right to own a gun is the right to life, and without a right to keep and bear arms, your right to live your life isn't preserved. Because bad people are always going to show up. They're always going to do bad things, and they can do bad things with anything at all. And let's remember that around the same time as the Allen shooting, eight people were killed with an SUV. And there's only speculation that it was intentional. My comment to that is that if it weren't on purpose, then how much worse could it have been if it were? 
So eliminating guns doesn't negate the ability of bad people to kill innocent people. What it does do, though, is prevent people from defending themselves, meaning they may die because they don't have the tools they need to defend themselves. More importantly, though, while these guys are out there and they want to push all of these gun control laws, let's look at where they have these gun control laws, but they're not actually enforcing them. If you look throughout the nation, you will see that, uh, you know, there's thousands of gun laws on the books. Now, Kennesaw, Georgia requires every household to have a gun, but it's a notable exception in a nation where pretty much every other gun law is about restricting guns, or you as a gun owner. And yet, as a Washington Examiner opinion writer Zachary Faria notes, many of what they're calling for won't be enforced. He writes, Democrats continue to stand on the bodies of shooting of victims to demand more gun control only for them to refuse to enforce gun laws that already exist and allow more people to be shot and killed. The latest round of demands for gun control stemmed from a shooting at a mall in Allen, Texas. The Biden administration predictably launched another round of gun control demands, as did Senator Chris Murphy, the poster boy for gun control ghouls, who tried to emotionally manipulate people into agreeing with him or painting them as heartless monsters. However, in Chicago, you can see exactly what Democrats think of gun control. There, an off-duty police officer was shot and killed. One of the suspects involved in her death, her death, was a man who had a previous criminal history that includes multiple gun crimes that were not taken seriously by Democrat prosecutors. The suspect had assaulted a police officer after being arrested with a gun with an extended magazine. He also had an indictment on felony gun charges that led him to pleading guilty to aggravated unlawful use of a weapon. He was also arrested in a SWAT raid where he was sleeping near a ghost gun with an extended magazine. For all these gun crimes in Chicago, which, you know, they are crimes, he received a grand total of two years of probation and 50 hours of community service with his guilty plea and absolutely nothing for the other offenses. Charges were dropped against him twice. Now, understand, while I, I sit here and I tell you, I don't think any of that should be illegal, some of that stuff that he got caught up in, uh, it is illegal in Chicago. So, breaking the law in Chicago, right or wrong, right, is still breaking the law. And yet, while none of it is permissible, and he broke all the rules, he's still walking around. He got probation and community service, none of which did anything to actually make him reconsider his ways, which that is clear now. And there's one police, we, we lost one police officer, one female police officer, one, somebody's daughter, somebody's mother, somebody's sister. Now, this is a big issue when you're trying to tell me that we need more and more restrictions on our rights to deal with any given problem, be it crime or general or mass shootings in particular. Now, for a criminal in Chicago, these gun laws aren't restrictions. They're just an obstacle to be overcome. And that can be done easily because if there is a demand for something, someone will figure out a way to meet that demand. So... The only viable option is to either punish that person so as to get them off the streets and hopefully warn others that they face this or not. And we see what happens when we don't punish them. And no, probation isn't punishment, not really. 
Someone on probation has to spend some time with a probation officer and meet a few requirements, you know, a few restrictions in their life. But they're still free to live their lives however they want. And for the most part, you know, sometimes that turns out to be crime. And that might be enough for some, but for many others, this is nothing. So now the question becomes, why are we being told that we should pass gun control when those who are demanding it and those who most need to be controlled, both of them are going to ignore it completely because there's no consequence. Now, for the politicians who pass this stuff, there has been no consequence as of yet. And there very likely will continue to be no consequence because for some reason... A lot of people in these uh, Democrat hellscapes, uh, they like it because they keep voting for the same thing. That's the only thing I can surmise. <laughs> and in that, that, and that is exactly where we come down. That's, that's all there is to it. Simply all there is to it. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour. This is Gun Owners News Hour, and, uh, you know, coming from the desk of David Codria, we get this uh, article starts out. This is how we end gun violence. A reader reacting to my recent Amalan piece about anti-gun Democrat representative and possible Dianne Feinstein replacement anti-gun Democrat representative uh, Katie Porter. And... That article speculated on domestic violence by gun laws. Porter supports applying to her with allegations by her former husband that she dumped hot potatoes on his head and cut him by smashing a glass. And the reader's solution was uh, interesting. Prosecute and lock up violent criminals, repeat felons, drug dealers, and especially lock up illegal sellers and illegal possessors of guns and throw away the keys, he advocated. Anyone opposed to civil sentencing isn't really interested in stopping gun violence. Their true goal is to disarm the tens of millions of law-abiding gun-owning Americans whose politics and voices they want to stifle. By force, if need be. Little bit of truth in some of this stuff now. There are also some concerns. And, uh, you know, and part of this may simply be due to the fact that, you know, of a misconception because uh, the illegal sellers and possessors part well that all actually comes down to your own personal experience and perspective doesn't it now David was one of a handful of activists who tore up the California assault weapon registration card at an NRA event where they hosted State Department of Justice officials who uh came to dictate the terms of surrender to them and told them that he was not going to comply. 
So he became an illegal possessor and plan on being one again if and when the situation arises again. So, in addition to that, David also was a, a he was a colleague and contemporary of Mike Vanderbo, the late writer who was he and David were the ones that actually broke the whole Fast and Furious thing in the United States. He, uh, Mike Vanderbo, did something called Toys for Totalitarians. That, uh, to smuggle illegal magazines to gun grabbers in states that had banned them. <laughs> he was also a proponent of dress. Defy, resist, evade, smuggle. As for violent criminals, it is a undeniable truth that anybody who can't be trusted with a gun can't be trusted without a custodian. If proven guilty, violent persons are still truly dangerous. Robert J. Kolka made a brilliant observation in his 1973 classic Gun Control, equating their release from prison with opening the cage of a man-eating tiger and expecting it to be a vegetarian on the way out. If there is a clear, convincing, admissible evidence that a supposedly restrained party is a danger, then how is it responsible to allow such a menace access to the rest of us until such a time as it can be established that they're no longer a threat? A killer is a killer. They don't need a gun to be a killer. Do you think that they can't kill with anything else? Or, you know, noting routine headlines from places like Chicago and Baltimore that he couldn't get a gun. Why wouldn't you take this hypothetical offender and separate them from society after being afforded a real due process without any, with you know, with all appropriate protections in place? Now... There's some pro-gun people that would tell you that if you didn't like law, you should work to change it. And I have I have done that. I have worked to change these kind of things. But, I mean, I'll give you an example, a really good example. When I got out of the military, I was uh, working for uh, my, my last uh, organization was 311th Military Intelligence at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. We handled... The, the Ford deployed area of the Middle East. And even in 1990, which was 11 years prior to 9-11, um, there was a lot of concern in the military community for what was in the country already. So when I got out knowing what I knew, because they used to give us these, they called them SADA briefings, as a e d a uh, subversion and espionage directed against America and after my final SATA briefing I was sitting there going wow I'm not sure I want to leave <laughs> I want to stay here so I get out and then when I get out as soon as I get out I start looking around and I'm, I'm asking hey what do I have to do in order to, to legally carry a gun well, in South Carolina in 1990, there was nothing you could do to legally carry a gun um, except become a state constable. 
in which case you needed to know a politician, you had to get an appointment, then you had to spend thousands of dollars to buy a bunch of equipment, uh, you know, the, the uniform, the belts, all the other stuff, because you were basically going to become law enforcement, except you were going to be unpaid law enforcement. And this was a this was a this was a uh, sideline for a bunch of guys that made a lot of money that wanted to carry a gun. So we had this system in place where if you could afford it, you could carry a gun. Sort of like you know now all of the permitting schemes that you see in Chicago and New York and California. So I made a decision based upon some observations that I made, which was, one, every one of these guys carried a concealed weapon, and you could not tell that they were carrying a weapon. Now, the only difference between me and them would be that, uh, one, they would have a badge, and I would not. So I just said, you know what, I'll carry a concealed weapon. So I started carrying a concealed weapon in 1990 uh, without a permit. And I did it like that for 21 years. And more than once, I would, you know, I'd run up on, I, I knew a few LEOs and I would go and I, I would say, hey, listen, just so you know, I got a gun on me. Knowing good and well that I just opened myself up except I trusted these guys and they were like, I don't care. Because even then, law enforcement knew that it would be better to roll up on me than it would be to roll up on me as a victim. Now, when we're talking about illegal possessors, that's the kind of thing you have to think about. In New York City right now today, without a doubt, I can tell you, without a doubt, that there are a lot of illegal guns in the hands of just regular people who have exhausted all means and all measures at getting one legally. Every time they try to do something, every time they turn around, they've taken something all the way to the Supreme Court and gotten the Bruin decision out of it. And they still are being stifled by the state. And crime is a poppin' in New York. For the people that are still living there, crime is snappy. So uh, there are a lot of really good people in New York. In New York City. There's probably more illegal guns in the hands of good people in New York City than black market guns in the hands of bad people and legal guns in the hands of good people in New York City. And that's simply out of what some people would look at and say, well, this is a necessity. Because while I'm working to change the law, I still have a very real and present concern. And so, as a free man and as an adult in the United States today, and as somebody who has defended the nation before, I just made a decision. So whenever you're getting out there and, and you start looking at things and you start considering things, consider that part of it, if you will. The illegal possessors and the illegal sellers. I would be an illegal seller for selling a gun to a just a regular citizen here in South Carolina. It's legal. But in some states, I would go to jail for doing the same thing. That little patchwork, if you will. We'll be right back. This is Gun Owners News Hour.
more time, shall we? And today I don't get, I'm not getting my back cracked. I hate that. Well, I've got something I got to do here locally, though. Veterans of uh, veterans event. So that that's that's a nice diversion, I guess. This is Gun Owners News Hour. We had a uh, well this this time a week ago there was a rampage killing in, at a mall in Allen, Texas. That uh, well, we lost eight people. And there's a lot of things coming out of this. There's a lot of people getting out there because there's not a readily apparent motive involved in this. This is not this is not some uh, transgender muss out there uh, with some axe to grind or something. We really don't know what's going on. I'm sure that there is a a, a mental health aspect. Or we we know this guy didn't last three months in the military because of mental illness and then just got released by the military out onto the uh, out into the world. <laughs> Without uh, anybody following up on that, but despite what we don't know about the case, then we have our desiccated pervert of a president getting out there saying that this horrifying crime reinforced the case for enacting universal background checks. Everything for the gun grabber today reinforces the need for universal background checks. It always does. And yet, the perpetrator who was killed by a police officer at the scene had been licensed as an armed security guard, which means he passed a background check and he was legally allowed to own firearms. Now, in this respect, the killer was typical of people who commit crimes like this. That is the main reason why expanded background checks cannot reasonably be expected to have much of an impact on any sort of rampage killing, contrary to the impression left by politicians who it's almost like an involuntary body function to demand this. You know, it's like breathing. Well, we had another rampage killing. Well, if there had only been some universal background checks. Now, federal law already disqualifies a very broad swath of Americana from owning guns, including people who've been convicted of felonies, subjected to court-ordered psychiatric treatment, Domestic violence, there's a lot of things. Background checks are required for all gun sales by any FFL, and some states extend that requirement to transfers by private sellers, which is, by the way, universal background checks. A lot of these places, by the way, are also having a bunch of uh, what they call gun violence in these areas because, uh, well, because criminals are just going to ignore that law as well. (laughs) Now... Texas does not have universal background checks, but that, that's not relevant in this case. Because although the killer bought some guns from private sellers, the rifle that he used in the attack was purchased legally, which means that he was not a prohibited person under federal law, which is what the background check is supposed to weed out. We have designated prohibited people and we have allowed people and he was in the allowed people category from 2016 to 2020 according to the Texas online private security database he was licensed as an armed guard a job that is subject to stricter eligibility criteria than the average gun buyer and according to CBS News he did not have a serious criminal record and 
despite what we know, it also seems that he did not, you know, well, he didn't have enough of a psychiatric record that would have disqualified him from buying a gun. He was terminated from the military three, 90 days in from an unspecified mental health issue after failing to complete his initial training, which is a very vague description. And in the Army, it boils down to this. If you're in basic training, if you're simply not going to cut it, even in the 80s, they would cut you loose. They would try a couple of times to redeem you and see if you were gonna, something was going to snap loose in your head and you were going to get it. And then when it, it all boils down to uh, being able to accept your circumstance. See, the difference between most military people and most people that have never been in the military is that military people know how to exist in misery and flourish whilst in misery. That little snippet of life, that little, that little capability is what separates somebody who makes it through military training from somebody who cannot do it. And there are varying degrees of of military-imposed misery along the training route that you may or may not go. (laughs) So that always has to be bared in mind. But the separations within the military are meant to quickly force out recruits who can't perform a military duty as a result of various physical and behavioral conditions. This is not punishment. Not being able to cut it in the military is not a punishment. And it shouldn't be punished because the military is not actually for everybody. And so, consequently, it doesn't show up in background checks. So, this guy didn't have a record that would be flagged by a background check. Of the rampage killings from 1982 through April 2023, where the source of weapons was known... Statista Statista reports 85% of the murders obtained firearms legally. According to the National Institute of Justice on public mass shootings from 1966 to 2019, 77% of the perpetrators purchased at least some of their guns legally, while 13% made illegal purchases. In mass shootings at K-12 schools, more than 80% of the killers stole guns from family members. Now we begin to see a delineation. A lot of that has to do with the fact of the age of the killers. But even theoretically, then, expanded background checks could make a difference in only a small share of rampage killings. The experience with state laws requiring background checks for all gun sales provides further reason to temper expectations of what that policy can accomplish. In Chicago, with the Highland Park shooter, the kid who had a very extensive psychiatric record, had his father co-sign on his FOID card to get his gun. As an example, a 2018 study found that such laws, which require that transactions be completed via licensed dealers, were associated with increased background checks in Delaware, but not in Colorado or Washington. So this suggests that these laws are widely flouted by gun owners who resent the additional expense and inconvenience and compliance entails because there's really no way to track it, you see. (laughs) And unlike rampage killers, ordinary citizens often have disqualifying records. No, not ordinary citizens, excuse me, criminals. But they generally obtain firearms from informal sources that would not be affected by a new background check law, like a trunk of a car from a, a gun runner. Studies that aim to measure the impact of expanded background checks on homicides have produced at best, mixed results. 
The RAND Corporation deems the evidence concerning the Rampage killings inconclusive. And that's not surprising, since notionally universal background checks cannot be effective unless private sellers comply. And how do you how do you enforce that? That is inherently difficult when the government tries to regulate transactions that by definition are unrecorded and inconspicuous. Now, because of the sell job, which has been done by the by the media and by various Democrat politicians, and even by some Republicans who get out there and they go for universal background checks and they go for red flag laws because they actually don't know what they're talking about. Because of that sell job, well, <laughs> this is a very popular program that they are, because they're, everybody's being told this is the way we stop this. But I'll, 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 t- I'll simply tell you, in all candor, it's not stopping anything with a habit. So why would we expect it to stop anything nationally if we had it? Then, of course, the other part of this is uh, that they would have to impose a national gun registry in order to actually check it against anything. Then they also, from that point, in order to make sure, you know, how are they going to know? So we'll have a gun registry, and then from time to time we'll have to have impromptu visits to inspect what we're supposed to have on hand because that's what it means they'll have an inventory of our guns by serial number and if you if they show up and you don't have that gun anymore (laughs) and you don't have a record of selling that gun to somebody that went through a background check to get it so they were added to the registry now you are in a whole heap of trouble criminalizing private property so, no way to, and still, despite all of those things, there's no way to, to enforce compliance. Because if there, if there were, there would be no criminal activity with guns. I'll talk to you guys next weekend. Carry your personal, personally carried firearm everywhere you can. Stay awake, stay aware. This has been Gun Owners News Hour. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.